Welcome everybody to Beauty IQ, the podcast. I'm your host, Joanna Fleming. And I am your co-host, Hannah First. We figured since we've got a bit of spare time on our hands, we'd interview some of our fave celebs and influential figures in the beauty industry and share those interviews with you. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when a bonus episode drops. This is the first time we've had someone from a culinary background on the podcast. And I would, I dare to say that Poe, who is our guest today, is like a Beyonce or Madonna. Everybody in Australia would know you by your first name. <laughs> would you agree? <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I do have only one. Uh, well, yeah, people often refer to me with my first part of my first name. But yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't compare myself to Beyonce or Madonna. <laughs> Well, for those of you who aren't familiar with Po Ling Yao, she is a chef, artist, and TV presenter. Po, you're most well known for your cooking, but what our audience probably don't know is that you're a former makeup artist. So has beauty always been a passion of yours? It has. Look, it's something I don't really talk about. I'm not sort of girly girl in that I talk about these things very often, but um, makeup played such a huge part of my um, formative years and really uh, was a very big thing that helped me connect to confidence mm-hmm. because I, I had, I was such a shy kid and growing up in Australia, I don't like to play too much on this because I don't think it was because I was a migrant. It was just that, well, it, it was a little bit, but I'm not saying a woe is me. It's just a, it's the story of every migrant coming to um, a Western country and feeling different and, yearning for those things that you saw that made you feel like a part of the crowd. So I wanted blue eyes and curly hair, blonde hair and freckles and long legs, all these things I didn't have. So it's a very common experience, you know, but makeup played a really huge part in helping me kind of get my head around that. So I have a very interesting and long relationship with makeup and I went through all the stages of looking like I just came out of Kabuki (laughs) theatre, like really (laughs) slathering it on. Like it was very mask-like for a good part of my teenage years. And then as I've gotten older, I've used less and less. So that's one of my philosophies, you know, as you get older, spend more time putting on less. A few guests have said that recently, actually. Mm. And did you find that having that makeup knowledge, did you do all of your makeup when you were on set for MasterChef? Yeah, I do all my own makeup for everything. Even the L'Oreal thing I did my mm. uh, for, for L'Oreal, I've been doing my own makeup. I just know my face really well. Yeah. And I think because I'm not a model, I don't, I don't like it when the makeup precedes me and I don't feel like myself because it really Mm. affects my performance. Mm. I find that very important for me because performing doesn't come naturally to me. So if I don't, if anything is there to get in the way, I'm very easily like frazzled. So it's really just a practical thing. Like I really like to feel completely myself. Um, I don't like to be misrepresented as anything else. Mm. Very A type. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say I'm very similar to you. I I much prefer to do my own makeup because, mm. as you said, you know, you get off a makeup artist's chair and you look in the mirror and you go, "Oh my god, that is not how I would have done my makeup," and I don't feel like it's me Yourself. and it feels different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I speak to lots of hairdressers and stuff that feel the same. They're like, every time I get a blow dry, I have to go home and like redo it yeah. because it's just it's just not quite the way I like it sitting. And you know every nuance of your face because. You live with it, right? So obviously you're going to do the best job, I think, unless, you know, you're not really that way inclined. And some people really love that, really love to um, let someone else dictate Mm -hmm. that, you know. But 
I'm not one of them. (laughs) (laughs) So do you think there is a sort of strong link between the creative industries you've worked on? So you've got design and beauty and also cooking? Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, I mean, they seem like they might not. But I think if you have a, a pretty creative sensibility, which I do, and I'm a multidisciplinarian, so I I think in lots of different directions, but they are always linked by a thread. And that is with everything, there is composition, restraint, color, and and where one thing differs, it's still filling the same void. So let's just say with all those things, color play a very huge part. And when you come into my house, you'll see it is like really cold. It's like, I'm <laughs> like an insect. And then let's just say for... Um, there is still a mood, right? So with food, you might be capturing a memory, but for makeup, you might be capturing an era that you're being inspired Mm. by. So I feel like, yeah, there's always these common threads that you can find. And I think if you think like that all the time, yeah, they're always there that, that link them together. Very interesting. I'm not a cook at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So I relate to the creative stuff, but then when it comes to cooking, I'm like, oh my God, there's too many elements and I get really overwhelmed quite (laughs) easily. (laughs) Honey, you're more of a cook than me though. I like to think of myself as a bit of a cook, but I'm really not. Like it's, (laughs) do you know why? Because I don't eat so many things that like I was actually thinking back in the day when MasterChef was on, I was like, man, I wish I could do something like that. But then if they asked me to try something and I had to cook like anything, meat, seafood, you know, Joe, and yes. I, I, I can't, I, I honestly, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it for the competition. Like you couldn't get me to eat anything. You couldn't even get me to eat a mushroom. <laughs> so that was out. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, no, you definitely have to. Look, I'm not. I'm not wildly adventurous. Like I, yeah, there's certain things that I still don't eat as well. But um, I think if you don't eat a lot of things, yeah, I think it can become problematic because. Like what do you cook? Like <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, I had to leave the mushrooms out because um, I don't eat them. <laughs> no, no, you can't do that because sometimes like it yeah. might be the thing. It might be yeah. like yeah. an ingredient. Yeah, there's things that I don't like. I don't really like gamey meats and there was a um, mm. challenge where we got, venison Mm. and it's Mm. not something that I usually eat but what's really interesting is that over the years there's a lot of stuff that I just would not eat if you paid me but my palate's matured to a point where I can objectively still know how to pair it with something Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. you still can get through it yeah but if you don't eat a lot of things I think it'll you'll start to yeah, get get some issues, I think. But yeah, not that not that I can cook like MasterChef. <laughs> I, know, I was like, going to say yeah. everyone just no, no, I absolutely can't. <laughs> but do you know, at home, I eat so basically. Like my dinner is, um, I will just like roast a head of broccoli. I'm super happy. I, I don't like complicated flavors for myself. Mm. I only mainly cook it for other people. And obviously, on the show, you have to show technique and your ability to pull ingredients together. Um, but yeah, for myself, I'm really basic eater. I, I like really simple flavors. That's so interesting, as someone who's you know in a cooking profession, to mm. like the simpler things. I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, So, Poe, you're now working as an ambassador with L'Oreal Paris and we've got a segment on this podcast called PWD KWN. It's product we didn't know we needed, which is essentially something that you wouldn't have bought yourself or you didn't think that it would be useful or that you'd like it, but you've ended up being Mm. obsessed with it. So, do you have a PWD KWN from the L'Oreal Paris range? 
I do. I've got a couple of things. Um, so one of them is the um, True Match Foundation. I don't wear foundation usually. Uh, so I usually just conceal and then powder, but it is so fine. And the color match, it's got like 40 colors and it's so precise that I, I just absolutely love it. And it's also got, um, hyaluronic acid in it, which, um, repairs skin at the same time. And I've got, this is really delicious. I've got a bit of eczema on my face. (laughs) So, So, um, it, I find it's, it never dries it out. It in fact feels like it's moisturizing and repairing. I only, I just, yeah, it's just come with age. I just need a little bit more coverage now. Mm -hmm. Um, so I only ever foundation like my T-zone. I don't go the whole way. Oh, right. And then you just blend out. So it would look really natural. Yeah. 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 So I love that. And I also love the lash serum. Ah, yes. Because I've got very... I think Asian lashes are really well known for being a bit sparse. And yeah, I really felt like it's it's really helped thicken, thicken them up. Interesting. Hannah, I think you were using that. I was. I would put it on my lashes and then my eyebrows. Me yeah, too. My eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, yeah my I eyebrows little... were so p- patchy <laughs> and, yeah, it, and it really helped them fill in. Yep. <laughs> Um, we also have another p- topic on this podcast. It's called the cringy convo, and oh. our our guests share their embarrassing, unusual, and sometimes sort of gross stories. Do you have anything that comes to mind that you can share with us? Um, I have so many, but I just I probably should just restrain myself. Um, <laughs> There's no restraint on this podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I know you guys are well known for going anywhere. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. We need to have these conversations. Okay, like Asians are well known for not being that well endowed in the in the um, booty department, right? <laughs> and so I used to, I just used to talk about this all the time on set to like you know my mates, like producers and stuff. And I always be like, oh, does my you know? Because when you don't have a good ample bum to fill out the jeans part, you get hungry bum. <laughs> <laughs> So I used to just go, have I got hungry one? Have I got hungry one? Anyway, so one of my um, producers, she's heard me say this way too many times, and she bought me, it's like this thing you can buy and it only exists in Asian country. It's like the bum version of a push-up bra. Wow. Was it from Wish? I don't know where she got it from. This was like ages ago. They're probably really like popular now because it was, you know how we've had this huge resurgence of interest in beauty? Like, like everyone just wears false eyelashes. Like it was just, it's just been like this huge thing in the, probably in the last, what do you reckon? You guys are the industry experts in the last like five years. Yeah, three to five years. Yeah. So this was like probably about 10 years ago. Anyway, it's like a pair of undies that just has like padding built in in the ass part, right? And for many years, I was like, oh my God, so funny. And I just kept it in my drawer. And then about, I don't know, a month, two, two months ago, I was just looking at my ass in the mirror and I was like, oh man, that is bad. That is like so pathetic. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to use that thing. So I put it on, wore it to the shoot and felt so so weird (laughs) and then um I did the shoot and my ex who's also my agent was on the shoot he goes what's what's wrong he goes you being a bit weird (laughs) I was like um obviously he knows me really well and knows my body really well so I was like I'm wearing an ass bra and he goes what are you doing that for you idiot and I was like I don't know you don't think it looks good and it was so funny because I he replayed the shoot and it looked, 
it looked weird. Like it filled <laughs> it out and it looked better in a way. But when I looked at myself, it just didn't look like me from yeah. behind. Mm. So it was just a really good lesson in just like sometimes just leave things alone. Mm. I love that you actually <laughs> got it out 10 years later though and decided that then was the time you were going to use it. <laughs> I know. I'm a hoarder. So I was like, one day this might come in handy. So I did, yeah. Um, so you said in a recent interview that I read that you wanted to be an example to a new generation of Asian Australian parents to let them know that their kids are capable of creating diverse and rewarding career paths out of their own choosing. Can you talk to us a little bit about that comment? Yeah, I feel like there is still so much conservatism with migrant parents who, and I, and I understand it because they sacrifice so much and they want the best for their children. And often when they've come from countries that don't have these opportunities, education is the number mm. one thing, right, that they mm. want that they didn't get. So I understand that. But education doesn't always have to be lawyer, doctor, accountant. It can be in the arts. And if your child is incredibly talented and you've imbued them with brilliant work ethic, which usually happens with migrant cultures, I really want parents to realise that bringing them to a country with more opportunities, if they're talented in an area, just to let them set them free a little bit. Um, Because I meet so many young Asian kids aspiring to artistic sort of careers And they have a really hard time having these conversations with their parents too. And there's so much talent out there to be mined that doesn't ever get there. And you just get these unhappy children that end up, you know, like spending a good good part of their lives feeling pretty unhappy, studying in a career that they know that they'll never pursue. And they, it, still requires so much courage because there's so much culture has such a strong hold on you in terms of like, you know, you, you're very aware growing up that your parents have made these huge sacrifices and you want nothing but to please them. Mm. So that has a, that guilt has a really strong hold on you. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the thing that I want to kind of have conversations about. Yeah. It's, it would be a shame to deprive the world of talent you know, just because of this guilt that holds these kids back. Yeah, it's a great point. I think creative industries are often tarnished by this, you know, misconception that you won't make as much money or you won't be as successful and that those traditional roles or career paths are going to be more suitable for people or you're going to make more money and it's not necessarily true. I guess you would have experienced that as well in your career. Absolutely agree with every single point that you've made. But also money isn't everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that is so hard for for migrants to, because doing what I do, like I've been through the whole gamut of like when I was a painter, uh, when I was doing it full time, I'll I'll still note that as probably the most happiest period of my life. Like I was just in this little flat painting full time and I was like, I freaking made it. Like Mm. I've done it. I've done the thing that is really hard to do. And that is carve a living out of something that I absolutely love. And I could drop dead now living in this flat with my little Scottish terrier and I would die happy. Like Mm. there is nothing I desire more. Um, and then I went on MasterChef. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, and then when I went on MasterChef, it was really interesting because life became infinitely more exciting in a way, in a way, and it was very useful for me as someone who's been very introverted my whole life to get that affirmation. Mm-hmm. But it comes with 
all these other complexities, like people expecting you to be a certain way or their idea of you is not actually who you are. And there's all these, you know, it comes with all these things. And I realized very quickly that excitement doesn't equal happiness. Mm, and sometimes yeah. even though something looks, feels like it's just humming along, it can bring you a very deep kind of contentment that is really steady and very fulfilling in a way that is unshakable. Like working in the media, it can really, if you don't have the right, if you don't have that stillness and you got your wits together, it can really throw you around like Mm. a little bit of driftwood. Mm. You know, it's very easy to get swayed by little things like walking on a set and people thinking they can just do you up however you want or make you say things that, you know, script things that just don't feel like you. Like you can so easily lose your way and just go, yeah, 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 just operate just on raw ambition but not think about how you're feeding your sense of self. Mm. Um, Before I went on MasterChef, I'd been painting probably, yeah, I'd been painting for uh, just over five years, I think, and I'd plotted along. You know how they always say make a five-year plan for Mm -hmm. anything that, yes, I didn't make a five-year plan. I just worked really like my ass off for five years and it was so interesting. On the five-year mark, it just happened. I started to get like media interest and it just had momentum. I was just exhibiting really Mm. regularly and making a living out of it and not doing anything else. Mm. I wasn't doing any other odd jobs, but I did do a little bit of makeup still on the Mm -hmm. side when I was doing that because I, because I still couldn't, I really enjoyed it. And you mentioned um, briefly there, then you went on to MasterChef. Um, What are some of the biggest things you learned about yourself during and after the MasterChef experience? Uh, I think uh, I'm definitely a bit like I'm, I'm a risk taker. I didn't really realize I was that because I live such a quiet life. But I think I, I dream pretty big and I'm happy to risk everything to, <laughs> to see if I can push myself to mm. another level. Mm. And I think that comes from being a self-starter. Like you have to be so self-motivated and um, you always have to want to raise the bar for yourself because you're passionate about what you're doing. It's not about what anyone is telling you to do. You have to have that you know, level of motivation to always keep refining and just doing better, just doing better, lifting your game every time. So I think that held me in good stead for that. And before we wrap up, we've got to talk about skincare. So um, you're 47, you look fantastic. Can you tell us what your routine is? Okay. I, you're going to be quite surprised by this. I actually, I've used olive oil to take off my makeup Ooh, my entire we've life. We've got a JLo fan over here. JLo <laughs> loves olive oil. Oh, really? Yeah. So that makes <gasps> a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 Olive oil. And then I've used, because of my eczema, I've just always used sorbeline on my mm. face the whole time. Yeah, it is tricky with eczema to get, you know, experimental with active ingredients and things because they'll just flare you up straight away. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just of that thinking of like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's my, that's pretty much it. That's the skincare routine. Love that for you. I'm going to go down to Chemist Warehouse and get some (laughs) sorbling drink then. (laughs) If I can look like you when I'm 47, I'll be pretty bloody happy about it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Poe. It's been great to chat. But I did want to ask, before we go, we have to ask, favourite restaurants in Australia? Oh, okay. I'm so the wrong person. <laughs> I'm so I'm so cheap and cheerful. I like conviviality. I like friends to be together, be able to mm. laugh loudly. Um, but 
I'll speak for some food experiences. Is that okay? Yes. Not necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. So Fat Pig Farm in Tassie, um, Matthew Evans is a um, good mate of mine. Him and his wife run the farm and everything is everything is sourced from the farm, like strictly. Mm. Like when I was there, I wanted to make some dessert and he goes, well, we don't grow wheat, so we have no flour. And I was like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, wow. wow. Really like, <laughs> so that's a really cool experience. He made, he gave me a salami once that made me cry. Like it was that amazing. <laughs> oh, boy. So that's how amazing. I feel about salami. I love salami. <laughs> like he cured it himself. I know that the pig like lived off the apples on the land and like it was just so perfectly seasoned. The meat was so sweet and like everything about it was perfection. Anyway, um, in Adelaide, I like, yeah, I just like all the cheap and cheerfuls. Um, there's a really amazing experience Villetta Porcini which is another friend of mine Andre Ursini uh it's in Milo in the Adelaide Hills and he's set up this gorgeous little like shed that looks like Hansel and Gretel (laughs) and you go there and they just feed you for the whole day it's like a sort of luxury experience Mm -hmm. but apart from that just like your normal eating I love um and okay people will be like what when I say this but um there's a little place called Ying Chow and it's it's cheap and cheerful it's Chinese and it's been my favorite since my uni day so it has a like I have a lot of um sentimental attachment to it because it was mm-hmm. like we had no money and that was the place we went for a treat and their tea smoked duck is like amazing so that's what that's one of my faves I, yeah I better end there while I'm <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about our favorite restaurants as well for quite a while Hannah and I have a few on our list too my favorite's definitely long grain in Melbourne that's oh my like gosh, I love long grain. The egg net is my favorite thing. If I was on death row and that was oh, I had yes. to pick a last meal, that is what I would I pick. love that's how you describe it. Yeah, I love it so much. It's that so was good. the bane of their existence after Martin made that on um on MasterChef in the season oh, one. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, because everyone just swarmed in there and wanted yeah. the egg net. But it is an absolutely stunning mm. dish. Amazing. Well, we've got some good restaurant and food experience uh, suggestions there from you, Poe. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast it's been great to chat to you oh it's been so so fun thank you so much for having me thanks everyone for joining us today don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends it helps other people to discover us and also we really want to know what you thought about this podcast so if you can leave us a review that would be much appreciated 